Welcome into the Tailgate Podcast. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner on the Wednesday edition of the show, recording Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday here. We're going to do our Monday night football review. Also, John Gruden's resignation. What in the hell do the Las Vegas Raiders do now? And then we're going to look at our college football week six, 2022 NFL draft risers and fallers. Back into the show. Tune in. Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum joins the show, friend of the show, along with Tristan Wurfs. We talk a lot about Iowa football, his relationship with Wurfs, and how he's developed over the course of his career. Let's get it. John Gruden is out of Las Vegas. That happened so quickly. Obviously, you had the initial emails come out, the report come out. He answered some of those um, questions about the racial trope used in an original email. And then more emails come out using you know, derogatory language, you know, more racial tropes, homophobic slurs, all these things that ultimately lead to Mark Davis driving to the facility meeting with John Gruden, and in the span of a few hours, him telling the players that he is resigning from the football team. You see more reports that the NFL was going to continue to release emails until the Raiders had an action on this situation. So I do think that's why it happened so quickly. My initial thought was, whoa, these emails weren't the half of it, nearly the half of it, if John Gruden was going to do that quickly, move on and resign from the football team. I think that's the most interesting part of the story to me is kind of, the, res the shockwaves that are going to come through this and kind of like what other, what this being the tip of the iceberg uh, for what's going to fall and like the sort of what's going to happen with the Washington football team and that organization and basically how those two, so the Raiders and football team, how they're going to move forward from both of these because I think this is just the half of it. Like I said, I think there's going to be more from this. I do wonder if we're going to see some shoes drop in the Washington organization as well and obviously with owner Daniel Snyder. Yeah, I think the NFL said they reviewed, what, 650,000 emails. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are saying, wow, timely leaking of this. It's not, I, I would argue this isn't leaking. This is the NFL publicizing, obviously, the information with John Gruden to start. And it is the tip of the iceberg of others, you know, potentially going downhill. I don't want to focus too much on, you know, why he left and all that stuff. I want to focus more on now, what do the Raiders do? Yeah. You know, they, they promote their special teams coordinator to head coach. I thought they would maybe do Gus Bradley there, but no. And now is Mike Mayock on the chopping block? What does Mark Davis do this offseason to repair this team? Because this is one, it's looking unlikely now that this Raiders team can right the ship, especially with the state of their offensive line, now dropping two games back to back to get into a playoff mode. And then two, this offseason, this roster is disgusting. I was looking at their top three players, in my opinion, Colt Miller, Derek Carr, Darren Waller. After that, you're pulling at straws. I don't even know if that's the expression at who are the better football players on this roster. That's, that's the concern I have. I just don't know what they do moving forward. Yeah, and... Well, that's kind of been the thing with the Raiders under the Gruden and Mayock eras, the dysfunction and the roster turnover and just the basic in and out on both sides of the ball that they had just, they kind of just pulled me back in, you know, three weeks into Same. the season. The sort of fall from grace that they've had over the last two weeks has been about as big as I can remember in recent memory where it's just, they had made some good decisions this past offseason in terms of the free agency at time. They had actually put together a defense that was semi-competent looking. And yeah, the offensive line was still an issue, and they kind of did that to themselves by cutting their entire offensive line this offseason. But it looked like they had finally 
kicked off on the right direction, but now I think you're back to square one. I do think this will result in a clearing of the house at some point. It will be a fresh start. Anyone involved in any of this, I think, is going to be on their way out. And I think that's the best move forward. I argue that the best move forward for the Raiders is to completely reset now. You're not going to get a reset in ownership. The Davises have owned this team for such a long time. He is staying put. And that's why I do feel that, you know, Davis is going to try and maintain some realm of seven uh, in some realm of success here. But do they move on from Derek Carr? That's the biggest question I have. Obviously, Gruden was in Derek Carr's camp. I'm of the opinion that you can reset at that position and potentially, you know, look to trade him to a competitor, a team that's with a roster more positioned to make a deep postseason run, and then allow your new head coach or your soon-to-be new head coach reset at that position and bring someone in. Do you move on from Derek Carr? I do. I will say they have a very, at this point in Derek Carr's contract, he has a cap hit of $19 million next year. It's a good contract. That for how well he's playing, that's a steal. Like that on the open market, his sort of level of performance is fetching in in the mid to high $30 million a year. As well, how much someone would pay for that. He gets a Kirk Cousins S deal if he hits the open market. So, they from that perspective, you could probably get a good deal in return for someone to say only nineteen million dollars on my cap next year. Hell yeah, I'd give. I he can get at least what the Jets got for Darnold, at least what the Eagles got for Wentz, if not more. more I would think more. on the open market. So, uh, that's may not be. I mean, like if you're talking about where I would go at that position, that that may end up being just because your roster as a whole is so bad but that's you're so like incomplete and you don't have a lot of ways to fix it now with how much you've you know spent and utilized your draft capital in recent years so it's a difficult decision one that obviously you don't have to make at this very moment though i think it's one that they will make as they have more conversations with coaching candidates you know yeah. you're, you're looking to bring in new head coaches are they in on Derek Carr or are they out? And I think that's going to have to be probably the first question, the first conversation you have with these new head coaches. Do they want to come in and try and win with this roster and win with Derek Carr? Knowing that, I mean, if you do keep Derek Carr, there is going to be conversation about resetting that contract because yeah. he is a steal yeah. or a, at least, maybe not steal, but at least a bargain at a $19 million cap hit. I would not be surprised, especially with every part of this organization outside of Derek Carr maybe being a disaster, him looking for a little more cheddar up front because he's now the only full, you know, only like lasting leadership quality that this team has so you could see him arguing for more money does the coach want to make that decision does davis want to make that decision obviously it doesn't need to be made soon but i would not be surprised if they do hit completely reset they do completely reset new coaching staff new head coach new quarterback and try and completely rebuild this thing rather than half rebuild this thing like they did with the gruden era yeah i think the big takeaway here is the raiders screwed. It's good. <laughs> like that's the big takeaway is you are in a bad way from a number of perspectives here and you have you're at big risk of this team falling into I won't say disarray, but fall like sort of losing your leadership of that locker room and losing sort of the team and the momentum you had or like that buy-in that you had after the first three wins this season. On the football field, there weren't a lot of answers for this football team. Now off it, you continue to have more concerns. Let's also jump into Monday night football. Yeah. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson puts on an absolute show. Mm-hmm. Beats the Indianapolis Colts 31-25. They do not cover the seven, but they do win this game in overtime. Lamar Jackson, phenomenal. 37-43, 442, and four touchdowns in this game. Only took two sacks. He is electric. 14 carries for 62 yards as well. This was a fantastic performance outside of the fumble. The fumble in the red zone. You already heard commentators saying, like, this is what happened. He has these fumbles. This is what happened against Las Vegas. He had the two fumbles that cost him this game. You know, if that, if that illegal lateral wasn't called back, which I thought that was behind. 
How is I don't understand the lateral rules at all, regardless. So, okay, yeah. So lateral rules, it's like it has to. It's where the ball ends up. But on the stupid, when it's when you're throwing it, throwing a pass, a quarterback in the pocket, and your body gets hit, and it ends up going backwards. If you meant to throw it forwards, it's still a forward pass. Which how do those two rules? How do you? How do those two make sense? If because those guys are, he was obviously meaning to throw it backwards. The guy was behind him when he throws it, and then it ends up going forward because of how you know physics and grab, momentum works with the football as you're running in a straight line. But it's like he meant to throw it backwards. So I don't know. I obviously it's it's just those two rules do not aren't congruent in my opinion in the NFL rulebook. Either way, I do think if that fumble gets returned for six. This game, obviously, is maybe yes. ends up being different. Maybe that ever. fumble could have been more costly than it was. But Lamar Jackson continues to have a lot of success and a lot of success through the air. You know, everyone talks about his rushing threat and what he adds on the ground. But 37-43, 4-42, and four touchdowns, he is, what, responsible for more than 90% or 85% of their yards in this game, something along those lines. He was phenomenal. You tweeted out something. Maybe, the Lamar, maybe Lamar Jackson has figured out the NFL. Anyone think about that? I know you're being cheeky, but your thoughts on Lamar Jackson's you know start to the season? Well, so Lamar Jackson is to give credit to Lamar Jackson here. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at throwing anticipation over the middle of the field and exploiting, basically uh, anticipating holes in zone. Like he is exceptional at that. And you go up against a defense in Indianapolis that that is all they did. They played five snaps in man coverage on 73 snaps in that game. Only five were in man coverage. Which again, that's Lamar Jackson is going to see a lot of zone because when he can run like that, you, you can't keep... expose yourself as a defense. Yeah, you give up a you expose yourself to massive plays if you don't have guys looking into the backfield when he scrambles. But he's also very good at scrambling up in the pocket and keeping his eyes down the football field and drawing, being able to draw and move defenders. And so Matt Eberflus and this Indianapolis Colts defense had to do something differently. They, they were in that second half. They literally were doing spot drop zone the whole time, and Lamar Jackson carved him up. He went 21 of 22 for 253 yards with a touchdown on throws between the hashes. He was anything he wanted over the middle of the field. He was nice. getting. And it's because, and, and I get why the Colts do that. That is what they do. Not to that degree in terms of not playing man coverage, but that's what they do. But they cannot do that when they do not have a pass rush. And they do not have a pass rush this year. And that has been Chris Ballard's downfall as a GM. He is, you know, the darling of the league. Everyone loves him. It has been the quarterback position that has screwed him. And the fact that they have not been able to identify pass rushing talent, whether it's Ben Banigou, Tyquan Lewis, obviously Quiddy Pay is only a rookie, but was hurt. I Kamoko Ture. Kamoko Ture. All these guys they've thrown draft capital at in the first, second round have not been able to hit. That's why they pay that premium to go get Forrest Buckner. But even he this year... Only a 73.2 pass rushing grade, not the kind of guy uh, we've seen in the past. So when you can only pressure Lamar Jackson on 13 to 52 dropbacks, and even when he wasn't pressured in this game, 2.8 a second average time to throw, and that's without pressure, you're going to leave those holes in the zone very, very susceptible. And so the Colts, I don't know if it gets better because they don't have the pass rushers walking through that door. If you're not going to get pressure against this Ravens offensive line, when you know they have to pass in that second half, you know they had to pass, you're not going to get pressure against a lot of teams in the NFL. And that's a scary thought for them, you know, hopefully turning around when Carson Wentz finally looks kind of good in one game when your defense line still can't get pressure. I think they're just SOL Colts this year, sadly. Yeah, Wentz only took two sacks in this game, went 25 of 35 for 402 and two touchdowns. I think you hit the nail on the head. That was excellently put in that played a ton of zone, Lamar carved him up, and they just simply could not get pressure yeah. on Lamar Jackson. You go back to that Raiders game that they lost, you know, Max Crosby and Nick Ngakwe were tearing it up. 
against the Baltimore Ravens. Got a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson, forced those fumbles, and that ultimately yeah. helped them win that game. Indianapolis, not quite the case. I have one more point on this one. It's really on the 2020 receiving class, and Marquise Brown stepping up this year. Marquise Brown, 9 of 10, 125, and two touchdowns in this game. Everyone focuses on a lot of drops. Did not have a drop in the end zone this time. And I think he has been so much better than he has the previous year. And same with Henry Ruggs and some of these other guys. Obviously, so much of the spotlight was on Judy, C.D. Lamb, and um, Justin Jefferson. Now, Marquise Brown and Henry Ruggs also playing well. Your thoughts on Brown and his start to the season? Uh, Marquise Brown was a different draft class, buddy. Oh, AJ I'm Brown's, an idiot. A.J. Brown's draft class. I'm an idiot. AJ Brown oh, A.J. Brown's draft class. Yeah. I'm sorry. And Nikhil Harry. Uh, it's all right. But, I mean, Marquise Brown's always been able to get open is the thing. Like, he's always been able to do that. Um, now he's finally... The, the, him and Lamar are finally kind of meshing, and he's not dropping. It That's when meshing. It's probably the it's probably the bigger reason. I, I don't I don't think like he's always been a weapon in that offense, and now when, uh, gosh, now I'm blanking on the names. Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman, when he finally comes back, finally is healthy. I, I think you're going to see this offense. I mean, continue to look like it has this past two weeks. Like, yes, Colts without some guys there on the back end in this game, but I don't think this is a blip in the radar. I, I think this Ravens offense is. A step forward from what we saw last year i think it's um one i apologize for missing out on the damn uh marquise brown wrong draft class but um definitely excited to see him improved over the, this year for sure uh and rashad bateman i think is expected to play in week seven some people thought he could play make his debut on monday night football in week six he is now on pace to play in week seven let's go ahead and get into now the biggest risers and fallers for the college football week six but before we do so got to bring up tailgate now has a promo code for pff if you want access to pff.com any subscription you can use promo code tailgate to save 25 percent off on any subscription at pff.com that can get you access to the fancy content the gambling content all the grades and stats that we speak to also college football subscriptions we got college grades college data all that stuff i would highly encourage you go to pff.com and use promo code tailgate t-a-i-l-g-a-t-e to get 25 percent off any pff subscription all right risers and fallers starting with the risers isaiah likely had a 99 yard touchdown for coastal carolina had one of the most receiving yards highest receiving yard souls for a tight end in a long time he was fantastic in this game continues to be impressive and will join the show tomorrow by the way mike well, Renner. he is on a runner uh he is on one of your risers list here he's not here he's gone from three successive weeks set his mark for most receiving yards in a game this season goes 76 yards against UMass a couple weeks ago, 95 last week against Louisiana Monroe. We highlighted him and then 232 yards, four touchdowns. Now, some of that's Coast Carolina and all this, the crazy shit they do in their backfield with the two, two back option looks and then just leak Isaiah likely out a lot. That was the 99 yard touchdown. That was another touchdown he had up sideline on a wheel. But Isaiah likely is still a forced to be reckoned with after the catch um, has the speed you want from a guy. If you are going to play an undersized tight end reminds me a lot of kind of like a Robert Tunyon in his sort of receiving chops that I think it's still play in the NFL. Now he is still small. That, that is the thing, but this guy will, I think he'll go to the senior bowl and turns or the shrine bowl and turn some heads. He's also got a very interesting frame. I think a lot of the weight is in his lower half, whereas his upper body is kind of yes. thin. I think I'll be interested to see how he stacks up at the combine in the future. Drake London, another riser for you, also a friend of this podcast, USC wideout, who has been phenomenal. I would argue, as a Fred Belitnikoff Award voter, mm. a favorite on for the award right now. I know you are as well. 832 yards in six games. He has been specifically fantastic 
after the catch for a guy his size and also in contested catch situations has been dominating for USC. Very reminiscent of Michael Pittman, who also had himself a game for Indy last night. And it's, yeah, I think skill set wise, that's not terrible. I've made the Brandon Marshall comp with Drake London. And this was a kind of Brandon Marshall-esque game. Remember that one against, oh gosh, who was it against back in like 09 when he had, or 08, when he had Jay Cutler throw it to him. four times? And he threw it to, it he the set Jets. the record. He set the record for receptions I'll in a game. That it was just slant, hitch, whatever, anything underneath, he would just get open immediately. And then is so, you know, at six foot five, 210, Drake London has the ability to box guys out and win at the catch point every single time. And that is a skill that, when you are like when you're 6'2, 210, that's a skill that you're like, eh, when a guy gets to the NFL, it might not look as good. When you're 6'5, 210 and have his sort of wingspan and have his basketball background and have done it as much as he has, I mean, 16 catches on 20 targets in this game for 162 yards, um, you start to feel good about it. You start to feel like that guy can actually do this at the next level. And yeah, he doesn't have good deep speed. He's probably going to run the four sixes, but he is your, you know, almost glorified tight end at the next level in that he's going to get open underneath ad nauseum. He's going to be your third down guy when they're in man coverage. Third and sixth, this is where you're going. And you can rely on him to get open in that regard because, shit, everyone knows the route tree he's running here. Utah, 20 targets. Everyone knows he's the only guy that they feature, and he's still produced. I think using him, you've called him like a big slot, but using him you know, like a bigger tight end, like yeah. that, you know, um, that the Raiders have done with Darren Waller could be pretty beneficial for him in the NFL. The other thing I'll add to, Brandon Marshall did that against the Colts in okay. December of what, 2009, I think is what you said. But that was not the Jets, the Colts for Brandon Marshall. I like that comp. Next on your list is Matt Corral of Ole Miss, the guy that I had people telling me, oh, he's falling out of the first round after losing to Bama. What? You you said it on the after that game that you know he did not tank his draft stock in that game, did not, you know, I think he did not um, make mistakes on mistakes, obviously. I did not yeah. lose that game for Ole Miss. He's a riser on your list this week. Yeah, so he did make... His first turnover-worthy plays this season. Oh, no. Got to put that out there. Two turnover-worthy plays. He threw a couple deep balls that were, but if you think back to last year, 2020, it was the Arkansas defense that was one of those games where like, holy shit, this is why I'm a little little low on Corral. He had seven turnover-worthy plays last year. No big-time throws. He had a 30.8 pass, passing grade against Arkansas last year because they just stifled him. He kept trying to go downfield and was missing safeties left and right. In this game, not the case. 92.2 overall grade. Obviously, the touchdown at the end was a little bit of a layup on the stutter go for the game-winning score. That one wasn't as great, but he had a 62 air yard throw in this game from from throw to catch point. The, the dude has a hose, and, and I love his sort of scrambling and rushing ability as a, as a bonus. He, he is a legit threat. If he runs, I, I bet he runs somewhere in the four six. As if he does run, uh, he is a guy that you can absolutely feature to a degree in your rushing offense. Can be an actual weapon in that regard to where. Like I said, this guy has the most real defenses on his schedule. And a game like this against Arkansas, who qualifies as a real defense, has NFL talent on it to tear them up the way he did, is, is about as good a performance as we've seen in this quarterback class this year. You know, about as good a draftable projection performance as we've seen. So, yeah, I'm, I would not be surprised if Matt Corral ends up your first quarterback off the board with a strong finisher. Wow. High praise. I was telling the guys upstairs talking about the next Raiders head coach. I'm ready to see some Lane Kiffin back to the Raiders organization. And why not trade Derek Carr? Maybe get after Matt Corral, too, to help lure Lane. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm putting on a tinfoil hat, but I'm liking I'm liking what I'm hearing there. I think Matt Corral has been obviously fantastic this season. I think you highlighted him as one of those guys that could take a 
Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow-like leap this year. I think you looped him in or lumped him in with Carson Strong, the Nevada quarterback, two guys that with good seasons maybe aren't on high on people's radars now, could vault up the boards, and you're saying that again. Kenneth Walker next on your list, the Michigan State running back. Also a fantastic interview. Trevor Sykema, an analyst here at PFF, did a sit-down interview with Kenneth Walker, a guy that wants to break every single tackle in his way, and he's done so almost. Yeah, this guy may end up as a running back one. It's close. At this point, him and Brees Hall, those are your top two running backs in the country right now in the draft class. The, the, the way he has played this season, he has 60 broken tackles on 129 carries. I think he might have a little more juice than Brees Hall. Uh, he is, and he's getting workload for days. I mean, 20 plus, over 20 carries in four of his six games so far. 29 in this one against Rutgers with 13 broken tackles. Uh, hits seemingly a home run every once a week. And it's because he he has a lot of ways he can beat you. Like, he, he shakes guys legitimately in the hole at 5'10", 5'10", 210. Legit NFL size and will make you miss, but then also lower shoulder and just go through guys. So he has that total package that you like to see. And a very similar sort of physical profile to, you know, like, Javante Williams coming out last year. We're like, actual, maybe not 4'4 four, four speed, but... An, but standstill explosiveness is exactly what you want at the position. So that man has made himself a good deal of dough this season. Kenneth Walker currently leads the FBS in force missed tackles per carry. That was the stat that Javante Williams led the FBS in. And guess who leads that stat in the NFL this year? Javante Williams. One of those things that does correlate uh, pretty well, pretty positively to success in the NFL is that breaking tackle ability. Walker showing that for Michigan State. Kenyon Green and Evan Neal also making your biggest risers list. Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman for Texas A&M. And Evan Neal, the monstrous athletic offensive tackle for Alabama, both of which did not allow a pressure this yeah. week. Yeah, Neal was, Neal was very impressive. That was probably the most, that was probably the best tape we've seen from Neal all year. That was legitimate, rare, people-moving ability and the likes of which you just can't replicate unless you are, you know, a Bruce Feldman's number one freaks list. You got to be a different type of animal at that position, athletically and physically, to do what he did in that game. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we called him ready first on lock. That has been in the past. But now we're moving into this guy's, you know, OT1 sort of lock. That's how good his tape has been of late. So him and then Kenyon Green, the dude keeps getting moved all over. First two games at right tackle, next two games at right guard, next game after that, left guard. And now left tackle in this game for the first time in his collegiate football career. And he balls out. Not a single pressure against Alabama. Holy shit. Like this guy, I, I think he's a tackle at the next level. But obviously, Texas A&M can't make up their mind of where to exactly play. <laughs> like, I guess he's just, he's too good. Like, he's good enough that he can fill in wherever. But I, I think he's a left tackle in the NFL. I think that's, you see it when he plays tackle. Those are his three highest graded games this year are when he plays out at tackle. So, that's where I would put him, and going up against Alabama not allowing single pressure is never easy, but he did it. Yeah, I think the how many positions he's played this season is pretty wild. And you saw, I think in the game before this one, where he took some snaps at left tackle, like mid-game, did get beat a little bit, but in this one, obviously, super impressive against the Alabama defense. Biggest fallers, I mean, same game, DeMarvin Leal. You know, this was the matchup of the weekend, probably for college football, specifically mm -hmm. people who fall the NFL draft closely going up against Evan Neal and this Alabama offensive line was not the impact player that he has been in previous weeks. So now they, they didn't let him line up against Neal much. Only 13 snaps lined up over Neal, which was his fewest on the right side all season. So a little, you know, tinfoil hat, try to get him away from him. I don't no, even think I that's tinfoil hat. I don't I, think it was. No, yeah. I think it was. He played more on the interior this week 
than at any point in time. I think that's where they needed him. But that also, you kind of saw that the reason why Texas A&M is playing him out on the edge. <coughs> Excuse me. Goddamn. Coughing. Um, he's back. Because against double teams, he was getting killed in that game. Anytime. My God, my throat's killing me. Uh, anytime he got a double team in that game, he was getting taken off the ball. Now, he had, had a number of wins one-on-one, and there was still, like, you still saw the talent. But it was kind of, if you're drafting this guy, to play him on the interior, which we've said maybe his best NFL position because there's not a lot of 6'4", 290 edges. It just might not be great right away is what I would worry about watching this tape against Alabama. Are you still pretty confident that you want to play him on the edge? Or do you do do you think he does project as this interior player, a guy that maybe shades inside the tackle or you know on the guards at the next level? I think he probably plays the edge. Honestly, I think he's probably like a Trey Flowers where head up over tackles, maybe you know, like old mm-hmm. school three, four defensive ends, kind of the base, the strong side end in a 4-3 or, you know, all these hybrid fronts, obviously. Uh, there's no one has true one, you know, one position really anymore. But he's going to be the guy that is not, uh, you know, three feet outside your tight end with his hand in the air, with both hands in the air. He's probably your guy that's uh, kicking inside when you need him. Next on our list here of followers is Jaleel Billingsley, a guy that I know a lot of Alabama beat writers, Crimson Tide fans have like waited for a pretty significant breakout. The tight end, six foot four, two thirty. This week, just a thirty six point four PFF grade, two drops, targeted five times, zero catches for Billingsley. That is a stat line you don't want to see. Could be a blackout level stat line if we want to throw him into that segment. Yeah, so I, I think Billingsley's a strong candidate, the tight end for Alabama to just not come out this year. Because uh, he's talented enough to be a to warrant early round consideration. He has not played well enough or, or done enough in terms of like he was the guy that you know Nick Saban roasted in the preseason yeah. saying he hasn't worked hard enough. That's why he's not the starter right now three games already this year, three of the six games. He hasn't even had a catch um, and is still in about 230 pounds. Still looks more like a wide receiver than he does a tight end. Like you're going to be a tough sell, even though you are, you know, draft eligible, a true junior. It's going to be a tough sell for an NFL team to try to eat, you know, a whole developmental year on a guy in the first, second, third round that just hoping that he's going to figure it out when, you know, the work ethic has already been questioned by your own head coach. Yeah. So I do think that, He's going to have to come back or, you know, play very strong down the stretch. Alabama's obviously going to be playing some big games here in the future, most likely. But he's going to have to either play strongly down the stretch or really or, like I said, probably come back next year to try to turn things around for his draft stock. I mean, not only I mean, Nick, uh, Nick Saban not only like went off on Billingsley, saying like he hasn't practiced hard, that's not really playing. That's when he also went into that rant about like, this is my job. My job is to play the best players. And if I'm not playing Billingsley, He's not the fucking best player. Like he yeah. was like, hey, like <laughs> you guys keep asking me why I'm not playing him because he's not good enough, and that's the bottom line. I do think mm-hmm. that uh, that rant from Saban was was pretty spectacular. Finally, we get to talk about this though. Like everyone has been probably yes. tuning into the show for the Wednesday show to hear about the faller that is Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler coming off one of the lowest graded single games Free of his fall, career, sixty two point nine PFF grade in this one. Just one big time throw, one turnover worthy play, and the, probably the biggest stat one benching. Benching for Caleb Williams in this one. Williams, down heavy, comes back to beat Texas in what yeah. was an absolute fireworks show. The Red River Showdown was worth the price of admission for Caleb Williams, not Spencer Rattler. And my favorite piece of this, and I'm cl- I can't wait for you to talk about you know, this free fall that he's in, Oklahoma goes into an absolute frenzy celebrating this game. Spencer Rattler goes to the locker room early. 
Mm -hmm. not in that picture where they're all in the field, you know, having the, the time of their lives. That is the biggest concern for me. That screams transfer. That screams go back to school. That does not scream enter the draft and be a first rounder. Yeah, I do love uh, that he then tweets out. This is on Sunday. Says huge team win yesterday. Proud of all my brothers. Six and L. No way. That yeah. was from his agent or something. I don't <laughs> I know. know if that was. That in, was a I don't know because I mean you saw move. so many videos, so many images, so many people talking about you know Rattler and how he didn't celebrate with the team. I feel like he had to have seen that, son, seen that, and you know obviously wanted to save some face there. But I mean this is a stadium that was chanting F Spencer Rattler. I can't believe I held the F word there. Mm. That's, that's growth. But F Spencer Rattler in the stadium. It's absurd, man. It's he's in he's down bad. He's down horrendous right now. Yeah. And it's the same dumb shit. I mean, like, it's the same things. And that's the biggest reason. It's like, why is he go from QB1 preseason? Not just me, the number of people were because the talent's there. I mean, a five-star, like you see the talent, you you know, 92.5 passing rate back in 2020. He has legit arm talent, legit throws on tape, legit plays that are special, that are NFL caliber that you would draft number one overall. But we also said there was a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of things he needed to improve upon. And not only has he not improved upon them, he has seemingly gotten worse in those regards. Like he is turning down open receivers. I don't know if it's turning down, not seeing them, whatever, but working a half field read and not getting to the guy who's the open receiver in that half field read consistently. It's like, you can't keep doing those things and keep turning down your check downs to try to break pockets and taking bad sacks, fumbling footballs, you know, throwing the ball wildly on the move because it is just harder to complete passes when you are consistently not throwing from the, the base that you throw from, from the pocket. Yeah. That Rattler just, it's unsustainable. Uh, when things, when your situation's not perfect, when you don't have that great blocking, when you don't have that great receiving core that has that inbuilt advantage, it's going to look like shit at the NFL level. And that's why he gets pulled in this game. That's why he's probably not getting that job back anytime soon and why he's, you know, the biggest faller so far this season. And that has to be so frustrating for Lincoln Riley and the coaching staff. I think you yeah. even saw some reports about, like, we just need to get back to basics. We need to get back to basics with Spencer Rattler, do the little things, do the simple things. That's and that, put it. that has not happened. Like, that, yeah. that's, you see, I mean, like, I feel like you could see in your head that, like, Lincoln Riley just, like, kind of banging the clipboard, like, why can't we just do these simple things yeah. to execute the offense, whereas Caleb Williams comes in and does that. And I do think that you can't go back to Spencer Rattler after this. Not because you, if you do that, you will divide this locker room in a way that no one wants to see. You saw, I think you, I don't know who was commentating that game, but mention how much the team rallied around it's Williams on the sideline. Like you see yeah. after that score, he had the long rushing touchdown, the sideline just pouring support over Williams. That yeah. I think you can't well, go, like Lincoln Riley cannot go back to Rattler. I don't think he can. And that's the other thing that we really haven't touched on about Rattlers that people reportedly think, think he's, he's a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I think, Reportedly, but also if you watch the Netflix show QB1, QB1 he looked like a douchebag. He's yeah. kind of a douchebag to the backup quarterback there. I mean, it's, I don't even say kind of, like obviously rude, yeah. <laughs> obviously rude to the backup quarterback there. Let's not speculate on scenes from a Netflix show on why he's a douchebag. I think the bigger issue is that he has not played good football yeah. for Oklahoma and Caleb Williams taking over. Before we jump to some of our segments. Watches. Yeah, our watches. Bus watch, bus watch Hall of Fame, whiff watch, breakout watch, watch watch, and first round lock. 
going to talk about a sponsor of the tailgate podcast DraftKings. another week of the nfl season means another shot to win big at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl new customers can just be one dollar on can bet just one dollar on any nfl game and win a hundred dollars in free bets if either team scores a point the last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943. Mike Renner's mom was there. So I'd, ra- I'd say this, a no-brainer. A sportsbook isn't available in your state. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play huge for cash prizes all season long. DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF for $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets. If either team scores a point, that's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the nfl must be 21 years or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only new customers only minimum five dollar deposit one dollar wager required one per customer restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER on to the watches here starting with bus watch meaning a recently drafted player that is busting and i've already been on my rants on this show about teams bust not players Patrick Queen, though, not meeting high expectations. The Baltimore Ravens linebacker, former first rounder, last year earned a 29.7 PFF grade, missed 23 tackles on only 48 attempts. I think almost half his tackles missed mm-hmm. in the, or oh, no, not, I'm sorry, I misspoke. He had 23 missed tackles on almost 100 attempts. That was like a 30% rate, which is high. And then this, so far this year, 10 missed tackles on 38 attempts. The missed tackles have been a concern, but probably the bigger concern for Patrick Queen has been the coverage. I mean, he has allowed a ton of yards into his coverage so far this year, um, has allowed 165 or 193 yards into his coverage with zero passes defensed. 19 receptions from 24 targets for 193 yards this season continues to you know, be a liability um, at the second level for Baltimore. And it's more, uh, I don't know the best way to put it. It's more like the confidence play. He's also not making plays is the other thing. He is only 12 stops in five games. He is there every down linebacker to play a lot of dime where you don't have more than one linebacker in the field. And he has only 12 defensive stops in five games. That is 26th among linebackers. So it's like, you can live with a guy who gets exposed. You can live with someone like Devin White last year. Mm-hmm. It's like he gets exposed. Devin White this year. But then he makes plays. Like then he's going and blowing up screens and that sort of thing. And that's that's where it's like you haven't seen that from Patch Queen. Five stops week one against the Raiders. Has only had multiple stops in two of his four games since then. Uh, only seven stops in his four Explains games since then. Just, stops. I don't think that's just, a common. Okay, so like, stops PFM, would yeah. just be uh, – it's a it's a measure. It's basically like negative EPA on a play on a tackle. On a tackle that you made. So not all tackles obviously create equally. If you tackle a guy twenty yards on the football field, it's not as impressive usually as the stop. I think is. the formula is close to something along the lines of like less yeah. than four yards on first down, half the yards needed on second down, and then behind the line on, on third, third or fourth, fourth down. down. Yes. So not making plays on ball carriers, not making plays on the ball in the air, not a single pass breakup, and then still. Awful tackle rate. Almost a quarter of tackles missed this year. And just the confidence. That's I think that's the best Whereas The confidence is like he's not even going in and like diving confidently into tackles. He's kind of like it, it just nothing feels. And, and I get that he has a hard role in Baltimore. It's not easy to play the, this little lone linebacker in that defense with all that they do with their front in front of him. But at the same time, you see that, like you see an athletic guy like Jeremiah Wusakaramoa approach a tackle, and the way he sort of doesn't hesitate into contact, doesn't hesitate into his read. Whereas Queen, you just 
you would never guess on half his plays that that dude runs a four five flat. It just because he doesn't he doesn't play with that confidence that you saw that stretch down at LSU, and that's kind of the biggest thing is that man that the guy we saw over that like I'm not sure he's ever coming back because he's still at this year and a half in to the scheme in Baltimore that has not changed. He's still playing like this, so that is scary. If I am a Ravens fan, like I said, twenty nine point overall grade this year. It's thirty six point one against the run, twenty nine point eight in coverage, thirty two point six as tackler. It's it's all like there's not a lot of good, sadly. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it's a role change or something that sparks his confidence where he's playing yeah. more like he did during. I mean, there was like that four or five game stretch at LSU where he looked like the most instinctive player on the football field and was flying to the football. And then he tested super well. That's why he rose up draft boards and was ultimately selected 28th overall. You lose that confidence, that like first step you yeah. see Owusu Koromoa playing with and other instinctive linebackers in the NFL. In that role in Baltimore, like you said, the lone linebacker behind that front, you are going to make mistakes so many that he's now the lowest graded linebacker in football this year. Bust watch, Hall of Fame bust watch, Derek Henry is and you said this i think in the preseason that he throws another 2000 yard season around i he's going to potentially get there and that's why because he is now 5 games in and on pace for 2000 in a 16 game season <laughs> so he's on pace for 2000 in the old but now in the 17 game season he's on pace to break the record he is on pace for the most rushing yards in a single season if he does get to 2000 this year that would put him only 54th all time though so how much more I guess is the question here. If he goes 2,000 yards back-to-back, back, is he in? Could he retire tomorrow? Not tomorrow. That would be, could he retire February? And would he be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Don't think I, don't, so. I don't think so. so I, he, I, he would I think have he would more, enter. He, he would, would have more rushing yards than Troll Davis, I'll just say, if he does get 2,000 this year. I, I think he enters that Jamal Charles level of Hall of Fame bid. Where, Jamal Charles got to make it though, right? Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people don't know. I mean, a lot of people think his efficiency was crazy and he had that like, you know, few season stretch where he was dominant. I think he needs that third season and he's to climb the all-time ranks a little bit more to, to start to like confidently enter the Hall of Fame. Now, I will say, Derrick Henry, because he's rare in more ways than his production, he's like a monster on the football field and like one of the more iconic backs I think the NFL will ever see. Like he's going to enter, like you think in 23 years time, he's going to enter like this Earl Campbell level of like, you guys don't remember Derrick Henry. You're going to be telling your kids like, do you yeah. know, no one ever saw anything like this guy. I think he'll enter that like rarefied air to where he'll get some votes because of that, because he's like that different of a human being. Mm -hmm. But I, I, from a production standpoint, I think you do need to see another year of like legitimate, you know, 1500, 1600 yard plus um, rushing totals to enter like more all-time ranks. Yeah. And the thing is like, I think Derrick Henry's going to have a few more. And oh, I think yeah. he'll yeah. end up getting there. But I'd, I think if he goes for 2,000 yards back-to-back -back years, I'd put him in then. Fair enough. But well, we've already had the conversation about how stupid I think the Hall of Fame like process is for the NFL. I don't. You're not wrong. It's it's become the hall of whoever the hell you want because we let in the you know a minimum amount of players every single year. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous. I I think they should be. They say hey, no one makes it this year because everyone sucks. Or like two or three. <laughs> Doesn't have to be you know whatever the minimum is um, in the NFL. All right, whiff watch. This one we're combining with breakout watch because they're the same person. This I like it because Charles Harris, the now defensive end for the Detroit Lions. He's bounced around the league quite a bit. Has been with three different teams already in this now year five. He got cut from Miami after three years. Never he had 34 pressures as a rookie. Never had more than that in a single season since. Fell out of favor there. Was 36th player on the PFF draft board that year. So 
we were a little lower on him than where he went at 22nd overall to the Dolphins that year, but still like 36 for a guy who's out of the NFL in three, or not out of the NFL, off team in three years is a lot. But this year, 83.9 pass rushing grade, and it's not really a fluke because he has had an above average pass rushing grade in all five games this season. It's not like one game is carrying him against a shit tackle. No, he's been very good this season. And I think it's because, I'm going to say it, they're letting him do the spin move every anytime that he wants to. <laughs> he was the, if you watched him at Missouri, Charles Harris, he was the spin move king. This guy had the deadliest spin move in college football that year. He was, I believe, a top five graded pass rusher. And it was about half his pressures were via the spin move. This year he has 15 pressures. Nine of them came on spin moves already. And not, okay, so a lot of defensive coaches will not let their defensive end spin. That, that's, they'll say, if you spin, you have to get home or else like, because you are, for that for that split second you are you know can't get your hands up you're not uh you can easily break contain if you don't if you aren't successful with it's just a high risk sort of maneuver that some defense line coach will just say i'd rather my guys not spin charles harris is solely relying on it and they're letting them in this defense just go to town every single time he wants to he's been left and right i mean nine pressures on it already is pretty ridiculous so uh that's why he is on the breakout watch this year, having the best season of his career. How much of that is just Dan Campbell being a player's coach? You know, yeah. Charles Harris comes in, he says, hey, I want to use the spin. He's like, dude, light it up. Let's spin, spin it up. <laughs> let's spin it. You know, let's fuck, let Booby spin. Let Charles spin. Yeah. Nine, nine pressures of 15 on spin moves. That's fantastic stat. Uh, washed watch. We brought him up on the Monday show, unfortunately. Yeah. Nate Solder yeah. against Randy Gregory was borderline a crime. I mean, I think if it was a boxing fight, it'd be on PPV. This was a tough one. This was a tough one for Nate Solder. First you are knockout. officially putting him on the watch watch. Yeah. And it, I couldn't forgive him for, you know, taking some L's at right tackle. He was a career left tackle. Um, but in this game, he was playing left tackle. <laughs> you know, they, they flipped him back over to left tackle to go up against Randy Gregory and allowed eight pressures, the 14.8 pass blocking grade, some in a comical fashion. It just, he, he just he doesn't have it anymore. And the fact is, the Giants have now paid him, made him the highest graded tackle in the NFL to earn a 75.7 overall grade his first year there, 64.9 his second year, opt out his third year, and now a 46.2 overall grade. A disaster of a signing that they should have gotten out from under a while ago. Yeah, that's right. You, you gave 11 sacks in his last, in 2019. Like it was already going south. And now it is rock bottom. Last segment of the show before we get to Tyler Linderbaum, the Iowa Center, the interview there. First round lock. Read off who you've already locked in and then who you have submitted this week. Yeah, we got seven guys already locked in. It's, it's We're getting to the this is dicey. The tough one. So Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon Edge, Derek Stingley, LSU Corner, Evan Neal, Bama Tackle, Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan Defensive End, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety, DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M defensive end, and Tyler Lindebaum last week, Iowa center. And I still don't want to go a quarterback. I still really don't feel like there's one that I know for sure, even though, let's be honest, a quarterback will go in the first round. I think multiple. Multiple will go in the first round. I don't care if it's a bad class. Multiple are going in the first round. That's just the way. Like, Geno Smith goes in the first round. Jake Locker, EJ Manuel. Like, even I don't care if it's a bad quarterback class, the desperation wins out. But I'm still not going quarterback. I'm going to go. Garrett Wilson, the Ohio State Let's wide go. receiver. Just the more I watch him, the more I'm just like, you can't let this guy slip. It's just not going to slip the second round. It would be insane to me if he slipped the second round. And now I know that wide receiver one's up in the air with a number of different people. Some people have Olave. 
Some people have Dotson. Jahan Dotson. Not for long. I don't think but that Garrett sticks. Wilson is from a NFL talent perspective, like his the ease at which you, you saw the the touchdown, or I guess the two touchdowns this past week, were not complex routes that should not have had that much separation. A fade route where he has three yards of separation on the goal line is insanity. Yeah. A go ball where he is five yards behind the cornerback and he's not a speedster. Like that he's probably like a high four fours, maybe even low four fives guy. He's not that fast. Is insane because that's just the level of shiftiness, the level of craftsmanship he has in his releases that eventually this guy is just going to go in the first round somewhere. Now, I'm not saying like he's what the eighth guy I've mentioned. I I would be surprised if he goes in the top eight picks, Mm -hmm. but he'll go in the top 32. I think that's fair. I think both him and Olave could ultimately be both first round picks. To put it, I remember when we had Sean Wade on the show, you know, he talked, you know, Chris Olave, he's a speedster. He can get on you so quick. And when you brought up Wilson, he's like, he just has it. Like he has it. He has the spectacularness to, I don't even know that's a word, but he has it. And that's what, you know, consistently creates separation on the football field and in practice against Sean Wade. Love that first round lock list. Before we get to the Tyler Linderbaum interview, your favorite sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. It's football season, baby. And you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through Harris has never been easier. And it's time for you to join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all your other trimmers. Now go tame that Wildcat offense. I've honestly leveraged the Lawnmower 4.0 in when I'm down, when I need to just kind of bounce back, you know, you're having an L streak at the bars, you're having an L streak in your life, go swing the bat on the fourth generation lawn trimmer to bounce back. You need that confidence booster. The brand new lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level or your offense. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn on a 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out the playoffs, baby, this year with Manscaped. All right, Manscaped. Now out the window, along with your other trimmers, let's get to Tyler Linderbaum, Iowa Center. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Iowa Center, Tyler Linderbaum. Big friend of yours, Tristan Wirfs, has talked to you about, talked about you so much on this show, talked about your friendship and how much you've improved over the course of your career at Iowa, how much you've just really developed as a player on and off the field. So it's an honor to have you on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Before we get into the wrestling matches with Tristan Wirfs and, and you personally, how much you've had success at Iowa, I want to start with, I mean, you guys are the number two team in the country, having so much success to start the season, coming off a big win against Penn State. Talk to me about the energy of the locker room right now, the energy of this team. What has this week been like for you guys as you approach Purdue and, and you know, the back half of your schedule? Yeah, it's definitely been an exciting start um, you know, to be in the position that we're at right now. Um, you know, just proud of the guys, proud of our team, how we fought through all these games. Um, you know, and then, you know, we're kind of looking at it as a seven, seven week season, uh, going into bye week and we got one more, one more week. We got four more days. Um, so just a big focus on Purdue. Um, you know, just starts our preparation this week and what we can do in practice to improve ourselves and then, you know, take care of business on Saturday. 
you know, I've talked to a handful of teams and players on teams that are in really like, you know, high up positions with high expectations. How do you avoid getting comfortable or complacent with the success that you've had? You know, I think it's one of those things that a lot of teams or players can struggle with in that like, you know, you, you, you have these high expectations and you overlook, you know, the producer of the world and these things. How do you make sure you go one and oh every single week and don't lose sight of obviously the big prize? Yeah, as you as you continue to win more games, you know, um, there becomes a target on your back. You know, say we're 0-6. I think it's a little easier to find motivation to, you know, try to win a game. Um, but, you know, you just you just need to focus, you know, know that, you know, target's going to be on your back. And just every day is important just to excel as a team and improve your team. That's kind of the mindset we've had this whole year. Um, you know, focus on ourselves, what we can do to get better. And then once it comes to game time, you know, you know, play together, play as a team. And I think we've done a great job of that. But, you know, we're in big time play now. No no team is going to be easy. Um, you know, it's hard to win. You look all, all the way around across the country. Um, there's upsets everywhere. So um, just focus on what you need to focus on um, is going to be very important. And, you know, we're going to be excited to play come Saturday. I'm going to turn back the clocks a little bit and focus on you and your development at Iowa. I know you started at Iowa in, you know, well, we came in Iowa around 260, 265 pounds, were originally slated to play defensive tackle, played that position all of 2018. And then late in that season, I think during the bowl area, you make that switch to center and have improved every single you know year of your career with the Hawkeyes, adding weight every single year as well, always kind of tagged as this undersized interior offensive lineman. And now, I mean, everyone, including PFF, is talk talking about you as the best interior offensive lineman in college football. Speak to who has helped you along the way in that development and I guess how you approached every year trying to get better at the center position yeah I credit you know it to all of my teammates and coaches just helping me uh, along the way you know it was a rough start um just from that bull prep just first playing the position especially at a you know collegiate level um there were some definitely some challenges you know there's definitely still some challenges now just learning curves that you know every day continue to get better and better um but you know without my teammates or coaches I don't think any of this would be possible um, yeah, I just have such great people around me um, to help push me every day. What has been the diet over the course of the years? Have you been big smoothies? You know, you talk to different people who have added a ton of weight in college. Some people eat 16 Chipotle burrito bowls a day. Others are doing raw eggs and smoothies. What have you done or what has helped you, you know, pack on the weight? Yeah, so here at Iowa, you know, we spend a lot of money on, you know, food and nutrition and all that stuff um, over probably a million a million dollars um so we have refuel stations where we can grab sandwiches and stuff like that and also we get fed two times a day um just full meals so you know anytime i can get calories in me um you know especially as a as a weight gainer early on in my career it was very important just to do that and also you know we have one of the best strength conditioning programs in the country so that definitely helped um just put it on size put it on mass um so credit to the strength coaches and them I want to talk more about your relationship with Tristan Wirfs, you know, on and off the field, dating back to when you guys were teammates and now. How much are you talking with him now that he is in the NFL, still taking tips from him, and, and um, honestly just learning from what he's done already, having a ton of success, obviously, in Tampa Bay? Yeah, so our relationship goes back to high school. Um, you know, we're, our high schools aren't too far apart. You know, we're rivals and all that. Um, I've played him in football, uh, baseball, uh, wrestling, and then obviously track. I mean, he's excelled in all those sports. So just having someone that close who excelled in all those sports um, to be that close to me and, you know, it helped me get better, helped push me in all those sports to try try to get to where he was. Um, and I think that's important. And obviously coming to Iowa, 
um you know we were you were we were pretty good friends i guess towards the end of his high school career um you know we talked a lot at meets and stuff like that but you know anytime i can get a learn from a super bowl champ um you know i'm gonna <laughs> listen um and some of the stuff that he's able to do is is just crazy um he's a special athlete um and he's just a great person all around too um so yeah you know i'm happy that we have a friendship uh, pretty close and you know, i'm going to continue to build closer bonds with him and uh, continue to learn from him as his career and my career continues to go on. I mean, Tristan also mentioned that the Iowa offensive line, you know, over the years has really set an expectation to always be great, to always be the strength of the roster. How, how is the relationship in the trenches? You know, how much do you guys take pride in, you know, being the strength of the offense and consistently putting, you know, putting out obviously quality play year in, year out? Yeah, it's very important. Um, you know, whenever I think about that, I think about all the people that, you know, came before me, you know, the Tristan Wirfs, um, you know, especially all the guys in the NFL um, who have had success, um, people like them that, you know, Robert Gallery, um, you know, you can name a handful of people who have excelled at that position um, and have excelled in uh, the NFL. Um, you know, it's important to carry on that torch of um, that standard that, you know, has been set in place. And then I think it just starts also with a great coaching staff. Coach Ferentz, you know, prides himself with the O-line. He's an O-line coach before. So, you know, and it all starts up in the trenches. That's how you win ball games um, on the offense and defensive side of the ball. Going to finish with this one, uh, Tyler. I really appreciate the time. You have Purdue this week, and then you have the bye, and then you got Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, and Nebraska to finish the season. I know you guys are looking to go 1-0 every single week, get through Purdue, enter this bye, you know, really reset before the back half of the season. What are you looking at from a personal goals perspective to finish the year? Obviously, the team goals are obvious. Let's go win it all. But for you, what are you hoping to accomplish towards the back half of the season? You know, I think, you know, like you said, 1-0, but I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, as a team, coach says it all the time, you know, if a team's doing well, those individual accolades will come with it. Um, you know, if you're focused on, you know, making the team better, then – whatever accolades come they're going to come uh, just because your team's doing well so you know, i'm focused on purdue this week and what i can do to help my team uh be better and most prepared for this game and then you know once we go into bye week we'll be able to get you know rest our feet up um maybe watch some games on saturday and then you know once once that next week hits i think we have wisconsin then you know it's another season and you're gonna have to finish off those five games and we'll see from we'll see where we're at from there but you know, I think you have to take it uh, one game at a time. I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, it's a long season and, you know, it gets hard, but taking one game, game at a time, one week at a time is very important. Love that, man. Really appreciate the time and really appreciate you joining the show. Best of luck for the rest of the season, my guy. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for today's show, the Wednesday edition of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We are definitely offering – 25% off any PFF subscription with promo code tailgate show support for the show while leveraging that promo code until next time producers stone Rochelle, Max Chadwick, David Safaro, Mike Quinn, and then of course, Austin Gale, Mike Renner tailgate. tailgate.